What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So that's why we think that this tax is such a horrible idea because in a time when affordable housing, again, 120,000 units short, we need every incentive to improve the housing stock to address the problem of inadequate housing. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. I have two guests this week, both trying to convince Chicago voters not to approve a binding referendum on the March 19th ballot. It would authorize the city council to quadruple the real estate transfer tax on transactions over a million and a half dollars and triple that same tax over a million dollars to uh, on sales over a million dollars to generate a hundred million dollars in annual funding for homelessness to combat it. Farzan Parang, executive director of BOMA Chicago, that is the Building Owners and Managers Association, and Mike Glasser of the Neighborhood Building Owners Alliance. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Last week, we talked to Emma Tai, former head of the United Working Families, the former coordinator of the very impressive field operation that helped to elect Brandon Johnson, mayor of Chicago. She is now the quarterback for this effort to get this tax increase passed. Did you listen to the show? Did you hear her arguments? How do you counter her claim that when people understand where this money is going to combat homelessness, and that the tax on real estate transactions over a million dollars will actually decrease slightly, that an overwhelming majority of these people break in their favor. Ties have told me she has never seen popularity conversion rates like this in all her years of working elections. Farzan, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, the top line is that uh, this idea it's a bad idea is going to hurt chicagoans more than it will help uh if you if i was i did listen to it and i was intrigued i think she said 80 percent uh of recipients of this message that you're going to get a tax cut uh are in support of that but i have to wonder you still have 20 percent of people saying that they're not really buying what they're selling is a, is a huge margin right if you're telling somebody i'm going to give you a tax cut i'm going to solve all these problems and you can punish these greedy, rich, whatever, multinational corporations that line, you still have 20% of people saying, eh, there's something about this is off, is I think a pretty bad indictment uh, of this idea. But but the overall, yeah, this is, this is a bad idea. It's going to hurt Chicagoans more than it helps. Mike, why don't you take a crack at that? 
you know, uh, there's still time between now and election day, and we're confident that when people assess what this tax is all about, and they understand the impact that it's going to have on affordable housing, when when the city is in desperate need of affordable housing and housing in general, the Chicago is a deficit of 120,000 units of housing. You know, there needs to be steps taken to incentivize construction and investment to to increase the supply of housing. That, that when folks understand and recognize that this measure is going to be a disincentive to invest in our buildings, people's minds are going to change. And I also think that there's a great distrust for this administration and how they would be custodians of this money. And that given time and an understanding of all the facts, so they're going to think this is not a good idea. How is it a disincentive to affordable housing, Mike? I, I wish we had more than a half an hour because I could go on and on. When I, I represent small to mid-sized investors in the neighborhoods, uh, we're not downtown. Our organization represents eleven different neighborhood groups. There's one group that's a Latino group, and the others are geographically tied, whether it's Rogers Park or Southside or Austin area. And our folks live in the neighborhoods where they own. They, they hire locally, they, they, they shop at the local stores, and we know our tenants. And when we buy a building, you know, perhaps it's a building that's boarded up or a building that's suffering from neglect. When we amass the money that's required to purchase a building and get a loan for that money, which is getting very difficult these days, our intention isn't just to sit and keep the boards in the windows. We want to create value in these buildings and bring them back to life. And I'm talking not about uh, government-financed uh, uh, low-income tax credit buildings. I'm talking about what's called NOAA. NOAA stands for Naturally Occurring Affordable Housing. This is the lifeline of Chicago. These are buildings that were constructed by brilliant tradespeople 100, 120 years ago, solid buildings that need investment. And so when we purchase a building, we, we oftentimes, and most of the time, we bring extra money to the table because we can't wait. The day after that closing, we're in there with our plans to put a new roof on the building, to replace the windows, to add security, to give that building additional years of life. And this has been the success of our industry. And uh, to, for a transfer tax to come in, and impose a, you know, depending on the, the size of the building, you know, tax of forty to sixty thousand dollars. That's the money that we need to 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 create housing and create valuable, safe, secure housing. So that's why we think that this tax is such a horrible idea, because it in a time when affordable housing again, one hundred and twenty thousand units short, we need every incentive to improve the housing stock to address the problem of inadequate housing. You're among, uh, Farzan, the real estate interests and business groups that have filed a lawsuit seeking to get this referendum thrown off the ballot. You call it a classic example of log rolling. Explain what log rolling is and how this proposal, the way it's crafted, the sweetener that was thrown in by Mayor Brandon Johnson, how is that 
log rolling, how is that illegal? Uh, it's you if you were trying to describe what log rolling is, this is the textbook example, this this referendum. It, it, the fact that it's combining multiple questions into one, right? Even as you're describing it, there's really three different uh, changes to the tax. And you've included they've included a tax decrease which, as they argue, it's 90-something percent of um, transactions or whatnot, is sort of, it's manipulative, right? That's the, you're, you're saying to people, hey, this is going to be a tax decrease for you. Don't pay attention to whatever we're doing to the rest of your economy. Uh, that is inherently, it's it's against the law because it, it's manipulative, it's not very transparent, and it results in bad public policy. Uh, and so, yes, to your point, we have asked a court to intervene and, and um, declare that it is illegal. And where is that court case at this point? Is it on an expedited schedule? Do you expect a ruling before the election? We do. Yeah, there's a, you know, the court has its own process and there's a, a hearing schedule and um, we do expect a, uh, a termination before the election for sure. Do you think you have any chance of getting this thing knocked off the ballot? There's a... Uh, I mean, high level, yes. I think if anybody is looks at this as the plain language of the referendum and looks at it, you know, the statute, um, it's very obvious what this tax decrease is. And I'll I'll just point out as well, there's no need for a referendum to do this tax decrease. The city council could do it tomorrow if they'd like. The fact that it is included, it is included in this referendum is, is it's very obvious what's happening, right? Um, so we think we have a very strong legal argument. In terms of the mechanics, this happens. This is not. Um, this happens, I think, relatively often uh, in referendums that they're uh, declared uh, illegal or invalid or whatnot. And there's a process there. I don't, I don't know that it would be off the ballot. It might be that um, it's just declared invalid. I'm, I'm not sure how that ultimately what what the court will decide there. But um, this happens, and there's there's a process for it. And that's the legal argument. What is the substantive argument you're making to voters? How do you convince them that this tax is wrong for Chicago and that it's not a mansion tax like they call it on the rich, but a real burden on large office buildings that are really not doing well right now? Yeah, it's it doesn't really have anything to do with mansions at the end of the day. That's a, It's a very small um, portion of the impact. The, the biggest biggest sector of our economy that's impacted by this proposal is large office buildings because they are very large. The value is large. And when you're trying to sell them, um, that's the, that's the amount that really it's millions and millions of dollars on an office sale, an office transaction. So what we try to explain to people is uh, that the, it's this sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what the office Chicago's downtown office industry really is that it's the home team of our economy right? The whole purpose of this industry is to go out into the world and convince people to invest in Chicago, that an investment in Chicago and Chicago's future uh, is a worthwhile investment. And when we're successful and we bring that money to the city, it goes into its, our, our city is dominated by union jobs, right? Our, our industry is dominated by union jobs, building the office buildings, maintaining the office buildings, securing the office buildings, the custodial workers in the office buildings, the metal masons, stone masons, whatever it is, they're all union workers that benefit from that, uh, that investment that we recruit. And they're union workers of every demographic in every neighborhood of the city. On top of that, that investment subsidizes the property taxes for everybody else who lives in the city. 
if you're a renter, if you're a homeowner, your property taxes and your rent is less because of that investment we recruit into the office industry. So this notion that you know, you're talking about rich mansion people. It, it's completely inapplicable to our industry that is in a major, major crisis. We are, we have, you know, in, in 2017, we had something like 62 cranes in the air. Last year, we had nine. There's no real development of office buildings going on. We have something like 16 Willis Towers worth of vacant office space. We are losing our union jobs, our ability to support union jobs, and it impacts everybody in the city. This entire notion that, you know, office buildings are owned by pension funds and insurance companies and investment funds. They're they're not they're not rich people, right? If you uh, are a worker that has a pension, you probably own a piece of our downtown. If you have an insurance policy, you probably own a piece of our downtown. If you are you know you invest your savings in a mutual fund or something, you probably own a piece of our downtown. It's it's really where the the host of the city's biggest economic engine. And um, the crisis that we are in affects everybody in the city. If you use public transit, how has that experience been for you since the pandemic? That struggles, the struggles that our, that our CTA and Metro are having are exactly because of the crisis that we are having in the downtown office sector, whose workers used to subsidize all of our public transit. So our, our point at the end of the, of the day is... Are empty is what you're saying. Half the buildings are empty on good days. Yeah, on, on Fridays and Mondays, it's, it's even worse. And we haven't even hit the bottom in our industry yet. Um, we haven't that? even hit the bottom. We haven't seen, we haven't hit the bottom in terms of leasing, in terms of people coming back to the office, in terms of vacancy is still increasing. We're in a, a real catastrophic crisis in uh, our office market. And what we tell everybody who's, who's interested in the subject is we don't really have a, the luxury as a city of having only one crisis to deal with. Right. To Mike's point, we have a housing crisis. We have a homelessness crisis. We have migrant crisis, but we also have an office crisis. And all of these things impact everybody in the city. And rather than this sort of half-baked plan and this rhetoric about punishing people uh, that that is counterproductive to what we are trying to do, there are better ways to sit down and, and as a collective address homelessness as a public policy problem and not as this sort of ideological rhetoric that we're just dividing up the city. Mike, let's talk a little bit more about the about the argument. I mean, because people see homelessness, they see the panhandlers, they see the the tents, they see the viaducts, they see people in desperate straits. They hear about the migrant crisis. They know that there's a sixty day eviction policy that's on hold for migrants, but that's that's likely to be implemented and increase the problem of homelessness that they see around them. And so it's easy. It's an easier argument, isn't it? To say, look, we need a dedicated source of funding for this. How do you counter that? Well, uh, listen, I live in Rogers Park and last year we saw examples of a, of a, a tent city that afflicted one of our local popular parks. So uh, anybody that I talk to is in the industry recognizes that homelessness is a serious problem, as it's a serious problem globally, certainly nationally. And we've seen attempts. Los Angeles spends $1.2 billion this past year, I've heard, on homelessness and the problems getting worse. The question, the issue of homelessness is a serious question. So is hunger. 
Is there a tax being put on grocery stores? There's a, 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 a health care issue. Is there a tax being put on hospitals? For this serious problem of homelessness, to try to solve homelessness by picking on an industry that's severely challenged, especially with downtown, to kick downtown, excuse my expression, well, I, I won't use that expression, but to kick them when they're down, when there isn't the revenue, when so many jobs are, are created with a more vibrant downtown is the wrong solution. Um, we in the industry are experts on housing and are willing to be brought to the table, which we haven't thus far, to try to come up with solutions that are more broadly based as homelessness and the problems are witnessed and experienced by everybody in all sectors of the economy. We prefer an approach that reaches out to everybody so we can get a handle on not only homelessness but and, and all the complications of homelessness because we're talking about mental illness and 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 let alone the economy or, or drug use it's complicated but to rely on one sector of the economy especially one that's so challenged downtown but in the neighborhoods where we have boarded up buildings where we have empty storefronts the the solutions uh, cannot towards homelessness cannot be done at the expense of reviving our neighborhoods and investment in our neighborhoods. How the, the will economic... this trickle down to the average Chicagoan, people who don't sell their homes or to renters? Well, you know, I was going to intervene in your last uh, uh, interaction with Farzin about um, the downtown, and I was going to illustrate the situation with, with, with uh, uh, I mean, it's a, perhaps a, a, a funny reference, but let's talk about um, go a night out drinking in the bar, three people drinking, and one, let's say it's Farzan, you and me, and Farzan says, excuse me, I'm not feeling well, and at the end of the evening, after running up a big bar bill, he has to leave. Well, Fran, you and I have to still pick up that bar bill. And to take that to the to the illustration of, of, of property taxes, uh, there's only one transaction in downtown Chicago last year at a 60% reduction. I believe that the city has traditionally relied on downtown for at least a third of their property tax revenue. That revenue, even without this transfer tax, is going to decline substantially. And that has to be made up, just like our bill, bar bill has to be paid that property tax levy has to be met. And that burden of picking up that bar bill or that property tax revenue is going to fall on the shoulders of homeowners. And it's going to fall on the shoulders of owners of multifamily, let alone um, retail and office or, um, um, you know, the uh, warehouse and, and the like. But we are going to feel the impact of higher property taxes, even without the transfer tax. To throw the additional 3% burden is going to impact us. So how, in answer to your question, homeowners might see a, a small reduction in their transfer tax when they sell their property every 5, 7, 10 years, but they will see property tax increases twice a year when they pay their bill. We in the multifamily industry very carefully monitor our rents. And, you know, I'm talking about neighborhood landlords or neighborhood housing providers, we like to call ourselves. 
and, and we care about our tenants for the most part. I'm sure there's some there's some folks that perhaps are are not uh, as sensitive to to tenant needs, but the story that's often not told is the real story when you're talking about neighborhood owners who know their tenants. When their leases are up for renewal, we take into account their situation. I do it all the time, and I and I hold back from from the larger rent increases because I know they can't afford that. But when we have burdens, tax burdens, let alone other costs that are that are draining us, we have to figure out ways to increase our revenue. So unfortunately, when we're overtaxed, uh, which has happened repeatedly with our property tax burdens, we or if we uh, have to make up a three percent tax upon you know sell the building, of course the buyer pays it, but we'll feel it. It, there will be rent increases, unfortunately, that have to be imposed in order to meet this burden. So this is not happening in a vacuum, Fars. And Mayor Brandon Johnson has already asked a heck of a lot from the business community: phasing out the subminimum wage on tip workers, implementing the nation's most generous paid leave policy, property taxes up to the limit every single year for schools, and he still hasn't done anything to implement the $800 million in taxes and fees he outlined during the business uh, during his campaign on the business community to help bankroll a billion dollars worth of investments in people. That's the cornerstone of his anti-violence strategy. Is the mayor asking too much of the business community at this time particularly? You know, from from real estate industry's perspective, certainly downtown office buildings. I don't know that the mayor has a bigger champion. I mean, our our it's imperative for our industry that the mayor and the city are successful. As we've said, the mayor is dealing with a lot of crises. He's got a big agenda. I think our our ultimate, uh, what we are trying to articulate to the mayor and the whole city, is whatever your policy goals are. You cannot accomplish them uh, without those sectors of our economy, including real estate and including office, the office industry, doing well and growing. Without growth, you're not going to solve any of these problems. You're not, we're not going to solve homelessness. We're not going to have property taxes that are sustainable for residents. You're not going to be able to generate any of this revenue, have the people that you want to tackle all of these significant public policy challenges. You have to have growth. And so there, there has to be a balance and a, a dialogue and a process whereby the businesses and the industries that are being impacted by these ideas are at the table and we are able collectively to figure out ways to solve these public problems without, you know, this sort of picking and choosing and, and winners and losers and, and everybody's a villain, uh, you know, where you pick on, for example, the downtown office building, and you're going to be in charge of funding all this lack of a plan for homelessness, whatever it might be. There are ways to solve these problems. We have a lot of strengths as a city. And I, you know, one of those strengths, by the way, is that you have a business community that's more civically engaged and involved and has more Chicago pride than uh, I think a lot of other cities do in their business community. So there's, there's no reason we can't all sit together and, and figure these things out. But there isn't that dialogue now, is there? with the Johnson administration? It's something that we, we've certainly chatted with the administration. I think other business groups are doing it independently. Certainly a lot of advocacy groups are. I, I think from our perspective, it would be good for the city to bring everybody together so that we're all having this dialogue 
together. That's something we've asked for from these advocates on specific to the Bring Chicago Home uh, initiative for about a year and a half now that there's no reason that we should be fighting over these things. I think to Mike's point, I don't know, I don't know anybody in the city who doesn't think homelessness is a, is a real issue that we have to solve. Um, so there's no reason why, why we should not all be able to sit at a table and figure out a way to do it that um, spreads the burden, for example, the financial piece of it broadly and thinly so that everybody pays a little and almost unnoticeable amount and no one group pays a lot. Like these are all solvable problems again. Do you have an alternative proposal to float out there? On our end, we're not housing experts, right? Our, our folks um, manage office buildings well, and recruit investments to, to develop the office buildings. So everybody pays a yeah. little. Ow. Yeah, what? that's that's in, in high level. You could do it, I'm sure, many different ways. So, so for example, we um, uh, part of this whole conversation has been what is the impact on renters? And, and I think with the uh, advocacy groups have some study that they're pointing to that says uh, because only of the it's a little bit of a forest for the trees kind of thing tree source because of the uh, impact at the point of sale uh, on on rent it was something like five dollars a unit uh, a month and the advocacy group said that's nothing right don't worry about that impact on rent and if you just do the math on that right if if we had some other mechanism of spreading five dollars a month per unit and then forget even just this is just I think apartments but every dwelling unit in the city right every business whatever you spread five bucks a month over and it could it could vary right some some could pay ten some could pay one but the core principle is you would have a lot more money than we've been fighting over for I don't know how many years I think they've said they've been working on this for five years we've been involved in it in uh, you know a year and a half now all the millions of dollars that's going to be spent on these campaigns and all this energy if you spread something thinly, there's there's money to be had. Again, this is a big city. We have a lot of strengths. There's no reason, there's no inherent public policy reason that you have to just sort of pick this, you know, go for this rhetoric and, and pick winners and losers. I'm sure there are different ways of spreading this out across the tax base because, again, homelessness affects everybody and it's not caused by any one group. Now, Mike, uh, Emma Ty says she plans to use lessons learned from Johnson's runoff victory over Paul Vallis, despite being outspent two to one, to deliver this progressive tax structure that will, quote, as she puts it, require the rich to pay their fair share so children can come in from the cold. She told me that elections in Chicago are a serious business that requires serious money and a serious field operation, and she plans to have it. She already closed the bank, uh, the closed the year with uh, seven hundred fifty thousand in the bank. She anticipates this being a multi-million dollar effort to knock on thousands of doors, make a, more than a million phone calls and text messages. Uh, they've already banged on 12, uh, 20,000 doors. How do you plan to counter that? The Chicago Teachers Union, the Union United Working Families and SEIU have already proven that they can control an election with a very low turnout because they got Brandon Johnson elected and the turnout here is almost certain to be similarly low. How do you counter that, that, that new army, that new machine as they call themselves? We um, have an important message to counter that message that Emma is uh, and her group are making. And we think that there's um, many, many Chicagoans who have seen the Johnson's administration's attempt to manage the migrant crisis 
and they're not all that pleased with the way he's gone about doing it. Um, I, I know that there's uh, folks that are um, very dissatisfied in, in our pro-business and, and, and see that the, the future of the city is dependent on a, an economic, a vigorous economic machine. Uh, there's many, many voters out there that want to see uh, us become a global center. There's many of us that want to see investment and, and see a viable housing stock. And as we get the message out there and as the dissatisfaction, I mean, let's look at some of the communities in, 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 in the more challenged neighborhoods where there's boarded up buildings and empty storefronts. There's a desire from folks to see an economy that would, would, would uh, help re-energize these communities. So I think when voters who uh, folks who are going to vote because it definitely would be a low turnout election, but and and and, and when in considering some of the other the races that are uh, going to be on the ballot, we're very confident that we're going to get a, a strong turnout from folks who want to see um, a, 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 a smart decisions being made and and will say no to this 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 referendum. Stacy Davis Gates, the CTU president, said that this was part of what the teachers went on strike for for 20, in 2019, that is to get support for students in school communities who are not housed. She told me, quote, it is an abomination that in this city with this much wealth, we all have almost 20,000 students attending public schools who are classified as unhoused. If bringing Chicago home, she said, provides the revenue necessary to get these young people into actual houses with the stability and consistency that that would provide, then they are all in. And she said, if you vote no for this, you are voting to keep 20,000 unhoused children in CPS unhoused. If you vote yes, you're voting for 20,000 unhoused kids in the schools to be in a safe, warm home. And she said, I like our odds. Farzan, how do you possibly counter that kind of an argument? Yeah, it's that, that core principle that the, the solution that they've proposed is going to make housing more expensive. It's going to hurt hurt jobs, it's going to hurt investment, it's going to make everybody's property taxes worth, it's going to create more uh, costs and negatives and harm Chicagoans more than it is going to help. And as far as, you know, the, the children who are homeless, the children of the city should be able to expect that the adults in the room sit down and solve these public policy problems rather than this sort of rhetoric, right? I mean, that's that's it's kind of a There's class a warfare, isn't it? Is is it kind it, of a class It's very warfare? much a mixing. Yeah, it, it's it's mixing that kind of ideology, ideology and rhetoric and class warfare with what is. It's just math. If there's a public policy problem there, that if we could sit down and figure it out, you can figure out right there. There should be a plan. There are a lot of experts on housing and homelessness that can sit down and say, "This is the plan, right? Let's align on the plan." Let's figure out what it costs and let's come up with a way of funding it that is sustainable, that doesn't cause damage, that is counterproductive to what we are trying to do. All of the other stuff is just, it's rhetoric. So are you say saying, that you're saying $5 a month on every person in Chicago, a renter, a homeowner, everybody? Is that what you're su suggesting? We had How done very back of the envelope what, what, math. What tax yeah. would it be? $5 a month on who? 
we had done a very back of the envelope math that if you said five bucks a month, because that was the number that they had said, five bucks a month per dwelling unit, it was something like $70 million a year by itself, right? Not even accounting for transfer tax or anything else. Uh, the core principle, we're not necessarily saying that's the way to do it. The core principle is that if you spread the tax base broadly, you can do it very thinly and you're not having a massive impact on economic activity in different sectors that again, uh, is counterproductive to what we are trying to achieve. So I don't know what the right mechanism is. I think that's, that's a conversation we have to have as a group and with a lot of taxing experts and other bodies, but there, there are mechanisms there to fund this thing in a much broader, uh, thinner way than this proposal, which is predominantly affecting office buildings that are in crisis and that but support everybody in the city. $5 a month on who? I mean, how would you input $5 a month on who? Every dwelling unit in Chicago, whether it's owned or rented, how would you do it? I, I, I don't know. I, I, we never got that far along, right? It's not necessarily on renters. It could be on every dwelling. There's some portion of that on business for sure. Uh, it's really, that's more a math example to show you that if you, if you have a broad tax base, it's, it's, you can do this without people being impacted very much. Now, Mike, what that mechanism is, I mean, that's, um, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the transaction tax is a notoriously volatile source of revenue with wild fluctuations, mm -hmm. depending on interest mm -hmm. rates, the overall state of the real estate market, which, of course, is not so hot right now. The mayor is counting on this tax, if it passes, to generate $100 million to combat homelessness. He claims that's conservative. What do you think, Mike? Would he get that? Is that overly optimistic? Listen, the mansion component as far as i said earlier is a very small part of this pie downtown is a much more substantial portion of that pie but as i said earlier downtown had one transaction last year um folks are creative and folks uh, investors are creative and, and investors really many are not going to be eager to pay this tax um i think the revenue projections of 100 million are wildly overstated and you know let's also face the truth that when that uh, present the transfer tax for funds that go into the general operating pie decreased from 0.75 to 0.6 there's a cost to that it's kind of like playing shuffleboard when your first disc that you shoot down lands in 10 off, and then you got to play from the deficit. Well, with this plan, this ill-conceived plan, we're starting about $30 million in the hole when 95% of the real estate transactions have a decrease of 20%. That's going to cost the, the city 20, about uh, from what I've learned, about 30, 20 to $30 million a year and so that makes it even harder to bring the, those, those revenue projections up to 100 million. So my prediction, and I'm just a real estate apartment guy, but my projections are that whatever money that they anticipate receiving from this tax are going to be woefully uh, under, underfunded. Before we let you go, are either of you heartened by the very low approval ratings of Mayor Brandon Johnson's job performance, uh, 20%? 
Does that bode well for was, your argument? You know what, whether irrespective of how it bodes for our argument, from the day he was elected, we in our industry wished him every success. We want him to be a successful mayor, but we want him to be a successful mayor that takes into account the needs of the city's business community, which transfers to jobs and opportunities. And uh, so we, we don't wish ill on anybody. We, we want this administration to succeed. Farzan? I would echo that. I would echo what Mike said from the perspective of the office industry. It's, it's vital for us that the mayor is successful and the city is successful as a whole. Predictions on this referendum? Either of you quickly? Both of you? We think it, we, I think it's going to be close, and I think we're going to prevail on this once folks understand the issues. Farzan? I would yeah, I would agree, Mike. I think if we can get our message out, there's there are better ways to do this to solve this Not problem. When we get our message out, yeah. Are you prepared to spend millions to counter what Emma Tai says she's going to spend? We're going to do our best to keep up with with their army. Yeah, that's an army, and and in a low turnout election, I I think you you're fighting a very uphill battle. We've seen their their power. Uh, Farzan Parang and well, Mike Lesser, thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, best of luck me. to you on this, and we'll see what happens in court, and we'll see what happens at the polls, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you, Fred.